You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers, and we have a lot to talk about today. The playoff races are really coming to fruition here. We're going to talk about the Braves. We're going to talk about the team that I think is the best team in baseball, and it's not the Red Sox. We're going to talk about the suddenly really intriguing Dodger pitching staff. We're going to try to figure out if a pitcher can win the MVP, and we also introduced a new StatCast metric this week, directional outs above average, so it was pretty fun. We'll get to that at the end of the show, but first we're going to talk about the Braves who are playing right now. The Braves are currently five and a half games ahead of the Phillies, pending the outcome of the game that they are playing against St. Louis. Since July 1st, 36 and 34, that's the eighth best record in the National League. It really feels like the Phillies have kind of screwed up like a big playoff race for us by not taking advantage of this, like unfortunately, because the Braves have been, I don't know, okay for like two months although i have you know you and i have discussed this uh in the office i have some real doubts about the actual quality of the phillies team you know they got out to that weird start where everyone wanted to to fire kapler and or I should, and by everyone i mean phillies twitter right. <laughs> um and then they got hot for a while and then they've really been slumping and i think that where they are now is actually kind of what they are i think they're 500 team that just got there in like a weird roundabout way because you know they only have one real star hitter and that's Hoskins who plays out of position and he kind of like gives back some of that value by being a lot of that we'll, we'll get back to his defense yes. later on in the show um and then other than that you know Nola's great and they've got some other like nice role players and like number three starter types but I just don't to me, that this is kind of who they are. They still have seven head to head with Atlanta. Yes, so and that's that's why there's some intrigue, and they're only back they're only down back five in the loss column, and that's really what matters because you cannot make make up losses, as I was taught by my father. So there is some room for some intrigue here, um, but they really basically they have a four game set with Atlanta starting on Thursday, and they basically have to win all four to make it interesting. But the Braves, man, well, the Braves are really interesting. I mean. It seems to me like the Dodgers are going to win the West and the Braves are going to win the East. And that's probably going to put them against one another in the NLDS, which will be pretty fun. And the Braves have been interesting because uh, some of the guys that got off to great starts haven't maintained it. And then, of course, they've got Ronald Acuna, who we'll get to in a second. I teased on Twitter a really dumb Braves stat, and I'm very excited to talk about it very briefly here. The Braves this year, as a pitching staff, have walked 10.2% of their batters. That is the highest in the National League. It's the highest in the National League since the 2008 Giants. It is the second highest in the history of the Atlanta Braves, before that, the Milwaukee Braves, and the Boston Braves, going back to 1918, when data goes back to, behind only the 1977 team, who lost 101 games. And even that team had Phil Necro, who walked 164 batters in 330 innings, which sounds like a video game number at this point. That's the 13th highest mark in Major League history. That has no bearing on this year's team, um, but I do think it kind of goes to the point that their pitching staff has been a little problematic. Like, Sean Newcomb looked great to start the year. Not so much lately. The bullpen has been you know, iffy at best. And I think a big question for me is, what's happening to Freddie Freeman? Now, I say this knowing that Freddie Freeman today has already gone three for three with a home run. So uh, maybe this is not a take that will age well. But 
first half of the season, I think you would say Freddie Freeman was one of the National League MVP candidates, if not the leading candidate. I don't think you think about him that way anymore. And that's partially because other guys have stepped up. But, you know, Uh, yeah, as of like six weeks ago, he would have been my NL MVP. Yeah, he's not in my top like seven right now. And that's, you know, Baez has stepped up and Kane has stepped up and all all of these other guys are out there. Um, But if you look at his month by month stats, uh, we like to look at, let's say, weighted runs created plus where 100 is league average. It has declined every single month. It was 160 in April then 154, then 135, then 132, then 115, and then 106 entering today. And, you know, still above average, but you are expecting, I think, a little bit more than that. And if you look at, uh, you know, his barrel percentage, right? So we define barrels as the best possible combination of exit velocity and launch angle. His barrel percentage in April was 16%. September entering today was 5%, and it had declined steadily going down to that that's a big deal and you know it's it's kind of a problem and i don't really have a good explanation why i tried to google this best i can come up with is that he says maybe he's fatigued which fine he plays like every day they have lucas duda now who i totally forgotten about until i saw him pinch hitting the other night uh so there's that and you know if you look at it it's like weight on a base he's dropped 50 points between the first half and the second half his walk rate is down from 13 percent to seven percent he's not pulling the ball as much I don't have a great answer as to why. I mean, maybe fatigue plays a factor there, but it really feels like they need him to start looking like, you know, Freddie Freeman with two capital Fs. And if they can win a couple of games against Philly this weekend and kind of lock it up, then they can give some of their guys some much-needed rest. Because one of the reasons the Braves, I feel like, have been so good this year is their guys have stayed healthy. They've had their, their best players have been really good, and they've also stayed relatively healthy compared to their their competition. Because the, there's one other player on the Braves who I want to talk about, my personal favorite of the year. There's only, the Braves only have one player who's been worse than Freddie Freeman, Freeman over the last month, and that is Nick Markakis, who has definitely fallen off a bit from his all-star first half. The The, the whole of his season is um, is still very impressive, and he still leads the league with 180 hits. But uh, his weighted runs created plus of 73 over the last 30 days gives you a, a sense of his uh, of his poor performance. He still has an expected weight on base at 350 in that span, um, above average. But the power has entirely disappeared. He hasn't homered since August 9th. Um, that's, uh, that's an entire month ago. <laughs> that's, that's an entire month. Um, he's been sitting on 14 home runs since then. And that's a number he hasn't exceeded since 2011. So we're kind of seeing the old Nick Markakis, I guess, of just like kind of totally acceptable average player. Um, the Braves kind of are presumably hoping that uh, the guy who they saw in the first half will come back. But if they can get that clinch, then maybe they can rest some of these guys and get into the DS with some fresh legs. I'm eyeballing now. The Braves are up uh, 7-3 in the ninth inning, but Nick Markakis is 0-4, for 4, so that's probably not going to help those numbers. Now, the one thing the Braves do have in the outfield, aside from Andrew Inciarte, who you all know we love Andrew Inciarte, Ronald Acuna, who I guess you could say has lived up to expectations, and then some he's hitting... Uh, 295, 369, 578. Weighted runs created plus of 150. And uh, 26 homers, 15 steals in 100 games, turns 21 in December. If you <laughs> use some, like, I feel like these aren't even real life numbers for Ronald Acuna. Second half, expected weighted on base, minimum of 100 plate appearances. So we're talking over 300 guys. Number one is Justin Turner. That makes sense. He's been unbelievable. Number two is Kendris Morales. You might remember that he homered in like eight straight games, so he hasn't quite kept that up, but he's actually been crushing the ball. He's been Seven pretty to be good. exact, but yes. Whatever. Mike Trout, 
Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, and Ronald Acuna. So he's been like a top six hitter in baseball in the second half. Uh, we know he's fast. He's got a top 20 sprint speed of 29.6 feet per second, where 27 is league average. But this is my favorite thing. And what's what's great about this leaderboard I'm about to explain is that he's not the only relevant guy from 2018 on it. I looked back to 1901 to find the best hitting seasons from players age 20 or younger. Minimum of 400 plate appearances. Ronald Acuna is on this list right now with a 150 weighted runs created plus. That is the eighth best hitting season of all time from someone 20 or younger going back to 1901. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that if you appear on this list, you almost have to be a Hall of Famer. Unless you seriously injure yourself, you are going to be one of the best players who ever lived. Look at the names ahead of him. Mike Trout's rookie year, Mel Ott, Ty Cobb, Alex Rodriguez in 96, Mickey Mantle in 1952, Ted Williams, Al Kaline, Ronald Acuna, Jimmy Fox, and number 10, Juan Soto from this year. It is unbelievable that we have both of these guys uh, playing at the same time. I don't know how you pick one for rookie of the year. I think I lean Acuna because he's a better outfielder, but then Soto's even a year younger. I guess there's no wrong answer here. I think Acuna's going to win. Uh but I guess that kind of remains to be seen. This week, Jim Callis uh, did uh, his annual uh, Let's Rank the Rookies Based on Their Long-Term Potential uh, story, which I always love. Uh, he had Acuna 1, followed by Soto, then Otani, then Glaber Torres, uh, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, Willie Adamas, Miguel Andujar, Austin Meadows, number 9, who just got called up today, Tyler O'Neill number 10. Who would you put number 1? Long-term uh. potential. Really, it's Cunha, Soto, Otani, Torres. Those are kind of the four, I feel like. Well, Torres for me is clearly number four of that group. And I think I go Acuna just because I think he's going to be a a better all-around player. I don't know if Soto is going to be a great outfielder, but I feel like Acuna could be a very good defender. So I think that gives him a slight edge. But then again, if Otani achieves peak Otani, then that's going to be something unlike we've ever seen before. To me, it's Acuna by – is clear – I don't want to say by mile – but I, I think he's a cut, a cut above the rest. I mean, we talked. You talked about Mike. You know, best age twenty seasons ever. Mike Trout number one. This to me feels very similar to Mike Trout of just a guy coming in and from basically day one immediately establishing himself as one of the best players in the game. I think that there's a good chance by this time next year we are legitimately calling Acuna the best player in the game. He's that good. I, it's it shouldn't be okay to say somebody remind you of Mike Trout. Mike Trout is that good. Like those, those are not words you should say lightly. I, I mean, I'm going to give him a couple more months. I guess he didn't even play the whole year. He got hurt a little bit. For but sure. I think you're absolutely right. Before we move on from the Braves, I'd like to take a moment to pat myself on the back. Um, I I tweeted out some good takes and bad takes this uh, this week. I tweeted out a very good take where I said last year the Mets should not trade Brandon Nimmo for Josh Harrison. I'm very pleased with that. I also talked about how much I liked Tyler Chatwood. That didn't work out so well. Let's uh, yeah, old takes exposed. We'll yeah. But I'd kind of forgotten about this. Last year, over the, the Christmas break, I think it was, or actually maybe a little earlier than that, I wrote about the impending free agent market, and I looked at it using StatCast stats, and I wrote about Anibal Sanchez, and I kind of looked at him as an undervalued pitcher. Now, if you remember Anibal Sanchez the last couple of years, in 2016, a 587 ERA. In 2017, a 641 ERA. Over those two years, there was only one pitcher with an ERA worse than his 609 ERA, Ubaldo Jimenez. And that's not a place you want to be. But I looked at him and I said, you know what? I think there might actually be value here. Because last year, uh, his strikeout rate was exactly league average. His walk rate, two points better than league average. And after he got hurt in August, he came back. And he had one terrible start. Gave up seven runs and four and two-thirds against Toronto. But his other four starts, 31 strikeouts, seven walks, 274 ERA, 
that's all pretty good. And I looked at his 386 weighted on base, and I looked at his 329 expected weighted on base, and I said to myself, well, he might be better than that. You get away from the terrible defense in Detroit, you get some more fortunate batted ball luck. Animal Sanchez this year, a 301 ERA in 125 and two-thirds innings. He was a minor league invite. It's actually been really good, and there is one very stack-ass reason I can tell you why. There have been 194 pitchers this year with 200 batted balls. He has the second-best hard hit rate in baseball. The guy is right behind him. Chris Sale, Brian Yarborough, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, and CC Sabathia. That is a list that tells me something about these guys. Anibal Sanchez is on this list. Is that, That's incredible to me. I thought he'd be better than he was last year. He might start a playoff game. Yeah, I saw Mark Bowman tweeting the other day, our Braves, uh, uh, Braves.com beat reporter, tweeting about how Julio Tehran might not make the postseason roster. And I sort of did like a double take, and I was like looking at the rotation and thought, uh, I guess I can see that. He's really not been very good. And some of these other guys, Fultonevich, Sanchez in particular, have been much better. So if he's not starting, is he in the bullpen? Maybe you don't. he doesn't even make the roster, which is sort of shocking to think about. Yeah, they traded for Kevin Gossman, by the way, at 261 ERA. And on the surface, that seems great. I think it's really misleading. Uh, he's striking out only five per nine with Atlanta. That's bad. And it's it's worse because you went from the AL to the NL, and it was like almost eight per nine with the Braves or with the Orioles. Uh, he is a 252 batting average in balls in play. That's very low. I do think he will be better than he was with the Orioles just because it's an incredible outfield defense upgrade. The Orioles outfield defense, easily the worst in baseball with the Braves. Obviously, in Ciarte is a star. Marquecas is fine. Acuna is pretty good. Um, but yeah, if you look at expected weight on a base in the second half, just with the Braves, Fultonevich and Sanchez are tied, essentially, uh, with a 288 and a 287 mark, which is really good. Newcomb is about league average. Tehran's been about league average. Gausman, 365. Yikes. So anyway, Annabelle Sanchez worked out. Let's you remember know, this Sanchez, one. Sanchez, his, uh, his split, finger pa- split finger is one of my favorite pitches in baseball. He throws seven different pitches. I, I fact-checked this. He throws a four-seamer, a cutter, a splitter, a curve, a sinker, a changeup, and a slider. That is what they call the kitchen sink. <laughs> Before we move on, this episode of the StatCast podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is simple, so you can understand the details and get approved in as few as eight minutes. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently at rocketmortgage.com. Based on a sample of Rocket Mortgage clients who met qualifying approval criteria and specific loan requirements at the time of application. Results may vary. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Number 3030. This week on our site, I wrote about who I thought the best team in baseball was. And it is not the Red Sox who are going to win 100 billion games. It's the Houston Astros, who have not actually clinched the American League West yet. And I laid out a whole bunch of reasons why, which we can go through. But the most important thing to me was they are on pace to outscore their opponents by 269 runs. If you go back to 1969, the beginning of the divisional era, the top run differentials in baseball, the 98 Yankees at plus 309, they were a good team. The 2001 Mariners at 300, they were a good team. And the 2018 Houston Astros at plus 269. I might go so far as to argue they are better than last year's champions. Uh, They have a full season of Verlander. They have a full season of Garrett Cole. And my favorite trivia question from last year, I don't know if you've looked at this already. Do you remember who threw the most innings for the Astros last year? Mike Fires? Mike Fires with a 522 ERA. He's gone. These guys are in. We've talked about the bullpen. Uh, Ryan Presley obviously is our favorite. Do you agree with me that the Red Sox are not the best team in baseball? The Astros are, and they are the most dangerous team heading into the playoffs. Uh, yes. Uh, Great. For, I've done my job. Exactly. <laughs> for a variety, you didn't really need to convince me. Um, they have 
similar or better top end starting. The lineup is just as deep, if not if not better. Although Correa's struggles kind of maybe give a little bit of a one seventy four, two fifty seven, two twenty three since it came back from the DL. That's that's worrisome. Yes, um, but the bullpen depth is the separator because even though the the um, the Astros don't have like the capital slee closer like the Red Sox do with Kimbrel. Kinda now. I mean, Osuna is supposed to be that guy. I mean, Kimbrel is you know maybe the, the maybe the best in baseball, sure. but like, and also Osuna obviously has the other baggage that's kind of yeah. yeah. So we we won't we won't dwell on that. Uh, but, but the thing about the the Astros bullpen is, is much deeper. We've talked about this, just like the guys who might not make their... Well, we have talked about it. And I, I don't want to totally like repeat a conversation, but I need to update a conversation, right? So we, I think we went through this last week about which guys would possibly not make it. So if I went through and had a seven-man bullpen of Ryan Presley, Osuna, Rondon, Smith, McHugh, McCullers, and Sip, and that leaves out Brad Peacock, Will Harris, Chris Davinsky, and Josh James. I don't know if that's actually how it'll be. It doesn't matter necessarily. Maybe it'll be Tony Sip out. But Joshua James, who's a rookie... Through five and a third scoreless innings last night, seven strikeouts. He's got 24 strikeouts and six walks in 16 innings pitched. He averages 97 mile an hour on his fastball. Uh, that would be top five of any starter with 100 fastballs thrown. I don't know how you fit him on this playoff roster. I also don't know how you exclude him. It's ridiculous to think that they might not take him, but I don't know how you fit him on. It's it, There's so much depth here. Good problems to have, I guess. Good problems to have. And, you know, just kind of going back to how good the Astros are. Their hitters are number one in weighted runs created plus. Second lowest strikeout rate, sixth highest walk rate, number seven in slugging, number six in on-base percentage. Um, you know, this is a team that's always working on depth, right? There are two teams in baseball who have 10 different guys who have 200 plate appearances and a 100 uh, OPS plus, basically 10 different guys who've been league average hitters or better. One of them is the Astros. The other one's the Dodgers. We met, saw these teams last year get to the World Series based on their depth, they're kind of doing the exact same thing again. I could still see a rematch between yeah. these teams. One name that jumps out to me on this list is Marvin Gonzalez because he had a really rough start to the season, but now he's back above 300, uh, the 100 weighted runs created plus, and looks kind of like the guy who was, you know, a borderline star last year, which is good for him. He's entering free agency. To me, he'd be a fascinating player on an NL team that wanted to, like, try the opener. You get Marvin Gonzalez. You can play like five positions. I like that. You can like you know you can do the opener, double you know switch out. There's a lot of there's a lot, there's a lot of possible. And the the way the game is played now, a guy like him who can play a lot of positions to me becomes a lot more valuable. Did you know the Astros this year have the highest strikeout rate of all time? Um, I did not know that. It shouldn't surprise you because like the top I don't know thirty strikeout seasons of all time for pitchers have come in like the last four years. But even so, twenty eight point six percent. That is the highest strikeout rate. Of all time, that's a pretty good way to not worry about what happens when the ball is put in play, is to not let it be put in play. Uh, number one in ERA, they have the fourth lowest walk rate, the fifth lowest hard hit rate. They are really, I think, just the best pitching staff, and it's not actually even close to me. Now, while I was talking about the Dodgers, I feel like they could play the Dodgers again. I think the Dodgers have sort of wrapped up the West. Is that premature? I, well, they, they At the time we were taping this, they've taken two out of three from the Rockies. Uh, they've won six to seven. They have 80% odds to win the division based on the Fangraphs playoff odds. I know they're only up a game and a half. I know they could lose tonight against the Rockies. And be tied in the lost column, the all-important lost column. I know, but listen, I, I, Tyler Anderson's pitching tonight for Colorado. He's not been very well uh, lately. Walker Bueller is pitching for the Dodgers. I know, anything could happen. I feel like the Dodgers have this wrapped up. So famous last words, 
old takes exposed, whatever. That's how I feel. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that the Rockies actually have a negative run differential. And are still alive. Like, they're, they're not just still alive. They're 13 games above 500. Yeah, they're, they're pitching. Their starting pitching has been fantastic. Uh, our Daniel Kramer wrote a really interesting piece on Herman Marquez, who has been a fine. He's been phenomenal in the second half. Obviously, Kyle Freeland's been very good. And uh, John Gray, I guess, got rocked the other night. But the Rockies have been very interesting. But back to the Dodgers. Have you noticed how good Hyunjin Ryu has been? Uh, only because I sit next to you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Hunjin Ryu, uh, when he came to the Dodgers, was pretty good in 2013 and pretty good in 2014. Missed all of 2015 with a shoulder injury. Made one start in 2016 with an elbow injury. Last year, injuries to his hip and his foot. Even this year, he missed two months with just the awful sounding, ripped his groin muscle off the bone. Uh, but he's come back so far this year, 70 and a third innings, 218 ERA, 301 fielding independent pitching, 78 strikeouts to 13 walks. There have been 252 different pitchers who have faced 250 batters. His expected weight on base is 31st, tied with Snell, Hand, and Cole. That's really good. Obviously, only 70 innings, so fine. Um, but that's that's like he's going to start a playoff game. Like he, I feel better about the Dodgers pitching staff than I did before because they just shipped like three quarters of their rotation to the bullpen, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's because Ryu has been good. It's only the way he's been, been pitching. He's definitely going to. To start a playoff game, what when uh, and the Braves have a couple left-handers in their lineups, notably Freeman. Well, it's uh, good the Dodgers have a lot of left-handed pitchers. <laughs> well, I remember in in spring training, uh, Ken Gurnick, who's our Dodgers.com beat reporter, he wrote about how Ryu was attempting to manipulate and improve the spin rate on his curveball. It's kind of worked. Uh, his his velocity is up from seventy one point eight miles an hour to seventy three point seven. Spin rate is up. From 24-20 to 25-45, that's a pretty decent jump. The outcomes haven't actually changed that much, uh, but it's interesting that he uh, kind of stated, I want to try this, and he's been able to make it work, but what's hugely different to me is the difference on his four-seam fastball. Last year, it got rocked. 724 slugging percentage, and an average exit velocity of 92 miles an hour. This year, 378 slugging percentage, and an average exit velocity of 86 miles an hour. That's better. Strikeout rate up 10 points. Um, it's like if you think about the Dodger rotation, Kershaw's still pretty good, but he's almost like a 50-50 slider fastball guy now because his velocity is down. It's really interesting to see like this progression into the late stage Kershaw. I don't know. He's going to opt out this winter. Probably. I don't know. I assume the Dodgers will offer him some kind of extension to forego that, but it's going to be very interesting for him, I think, if he if he reaches free agency. Because he's just he's very good, but he's not quite the guy we remember. No, he's not he's not the old he's not the he's not Pete Kershaw anymore. He still has like a two five ERA. Right. And, but it's not it's not quite the same. If the Dodgers and Braves face in the NLDS, I imagine the top three starters for the Dodgers in some order will be Kershaw, Ryu, and Walker Bueller, who has I think he was my I'm trying to go back to that. I think he was my NL rookie of the year pick. At the beginning of the year, partially because I think he's very good, but partially because I just didn't want to be like everybody else and pick Ronald Acuna, which I guess maybe I should have just gone along with the crowd. Uh, Walker Bueller has a 288 ERA in 118 and two-thirds innings. Last nine starts, a 175 ERA, 240 on base, 268 slugging. That'll play. <laughs> in seasons in which, uh, you know, two historic uh, rookies weren't debuting also in the National League, he would have a strong rookie of the year. So, so Soto and Acuna, we agree, are the top two in some order. Think about the guys who are going to finish either third or out of the mix, right? Bueller, Jack Flaherty. Brian Anderson, Derek Rodriguez, uh, Harrison Bader. I'm sure I'm for, oh, like Sir Anthony Dominguez has had a great year. Victor Arano. It's such a stacked season in the National League and both leagues, really. Um, if you look at expected weighted on base for starting pitchers and you look at those with a minimum of 200 plate appearances, the top 10 is incredibly impressive. Number one, Chris Sale, 
Verlander, DeGrom, Scherzer, Nola. I think that's as expected. If you had to guess the top five, you'd probably come up with those five. Number six, Walker Bueller. Number seven, Rush Stripling. And after that, Bauer, and there's Jack Flaherty and Noah Syndergaard. That's a pretty good place for the Dodgers to be. Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, the, this is kind of where people expected them to be all along, right? Like, they to win the, they win the NL West, they're in first place now. It's still still a little tenuous, but, like, they have so much more depth than the other teams, and this is where it shows. They've sent Stripling to the bullpen. They've sent Alex Wood to the bullpen. They've sent Kenta Maeda to the bullpen, like they did last year. Uh, Maeda's been only okay out of the bullpen. He's actually kind of given up some pretty big hits. But if you look at the underlying numbers, as a starter, he had a 28% strikeout rate. So far this year as a reliever, 37%. He's cut his walk rate in half. We saw him be a very effective reliever last year. And I was kind of thinking about this in the same way I thought about it with the Astros. Like, if you had to come up with a Dodger postseason pitching staff, so the starters, Kershaw, Bueller, Ryu, and Hill, makes sense. And if you had seven relievers, Jansen, Maeda, Stripling, Colin Ferguson, Caleb Ferguson. I can never remember which one it is. It's a Ferguson. He's been really, really good. Uh, Dylan Floro, Ryan Madsen, and Scott Alexander. I kind of feel okay about that. And part of that is because Dylan Floro, who is a name that nobody knows, has been shockingly good. He uh, has actually been with the Dodgers twice. Last year, he uh, was claimed on waivers and never pitched. Signed a minor league deal with the Reds this year, was traded back to the Dodgers in July. If you look at the pitchers who have faced 250 batters, his expected weighted on base is between DeGrom and Scherzer. That's insane. He's not allowed a run in six weeks. With the Dodgers, he's pitched 27 innings, a 133 ERA, 30% strikeout rate, has added two miles an hour. Uh, to If you watch his sinker, his two-seamer, he's got insane movement. I just love these guys who no one's ever heard of who will come up and I think pitch probably big innings. Like that's If you come up with the rotation and the bullpen that I just named, here's the guys in the Dodgers who won't make it. Uh, Alex Wood, Pedro Baez, Josh Fields, Tony Singrani, Julio Urias, John Axford, Yumi Garcia, Zach Roscoe. That is a lot of guys. I don't actually want all of them in the in the postseason. And but, there are roster limits. Well, there are. But I'm saying, like, they're kind of in the same situation as the Astros. Like, I don't know. If there's a thing as too much depth, uh, they have it. Who do you think is going to win the National League MVP? I think Javi Baez is going to win it. Oh, okay. I like that because we don't disagree that often. I disagree. I think Christian Yelich is going to win it because I think he's got this late-season narrative because he's been so good and the Cubs have been only okay. I, I think – that's probably going to overwhelm voters more than it should. But I think, like a month ago, I would have said Carpenter. He hasn't been very good lately. I think with the Diamondbacks collapsing, no one's thinking about Paul Goldschmidt right now. Um, what about Jacob deGrom? Now, let's back up for a second. Do we agree he's going to win the side by probably a lot? It almost they, feels like we're past that argument. Well, I mean, there's still he still has two starts left. Uh, he's actually facing Scherzer on Friday night. I think that got moved. Oh, did? I don't think they're facing off against each other anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, I take it back. Anyway, he still has two starts left. So, like, if I think if he got shelled, um, it could change it. If he has a couple more, just even just, like, moderate starts, I think if he avoids getting shelled, he's going to win it. He's got a 170-80 right now. But I, I think, I don't know, it's going to be so ironic when he wins the NL Cy uh, as kind of proof of concept that wins don't matter and then Blake Snell wins the AL side because he's got 21 wins in a, in a crowded field I feel like that's what's going to happen here um I think he's going to win the Cy Young by a lot like I think that conversation is over Nola and Scherzer each have been only okay lately so what if we don't stop there what if we say is he the most valuable player now, I know he's not going to win it you know he's not going to win it but let's make the argument that maybe he should if you go to fan graphs you can look at combined wins above replacement so what that means for DeGrom is it's not just his pitching 
Uh, it's his fielding and it's his hitting. He's actually been like a half a win above replacement as a hitter. He's often been one of the two best hitters in the Mets lineup. Maybe that says more about the Mets than DeGrom. But anyway, if you go over there, tied at the top, Mike Trout and Mookie Betts at 9.2 war. That's a separate conversation entirely, by the way, that Mike Trout has kind of come back into the mix and has tied Mookie Betts. Uh, we might get into that next week. Jacob DeGrom is third at 8.3 wins above replacement, uh, above uh, Jose Ramirez. And if you look at the number one National League hitter, it's Christian Yelich all the way down at six wins. That's a pretty big gap. I mean, war is not precise or perfect, but 2.3 wins, that means something. Like, that matters. I mean, there's there, there, a, a by-the-numbers case, it is a compelling by-the-numbers case, no question. In a vacuum, he has been the best player in the National League this year. And I'm not sure that, like, that, that's the thing is, if you just ask someone who do you think has been the best player in the National League this year, they'd probably tell you Jacob DeGrom. Well, so here's the three reasons I think people are going to come up with not to vote for him. Number one, some people will say, well, pitchers have their own award. I'll say, I don't care. Uh, Justin Verlander won the MVP. Clayton Kershaw won the MVP. And they'll also say, because the Mets are not competitors, and that's true. I don't really care about that. I know some people won't vote for an MVP from a non-contender, but I don't care. And then as far as being a pitcher goes, I think a lot of people like to say, well, he only pitches once every five days. I want a guy who's in the lineup every single day. That ignores the fact that if you are pitching, you're impacting that game a whole lot more than anybody's in the lineup. So I looked up these numbers. Jacob deGrom has faced 786 plate appearances as a pitcher. He's also batted 68 more times. So that's a total of 854 plate appearances. The hitter in baseball with the most plate appearances is Trey Turner, who has 691. So deGrom's going to have affected like 200, 250, 300 more plate appearances than any of these other guys. I guess that doesn't count the defense impact, so fine. Uh, but I've never really liked that, that argument. Here's the other reason why I think you could make a case for Jacob DeGrom. There's a lot of good players in the NL this year. I don't know that there's any great players, right? Like, no disrespect to Baez or, or Yelich or anybody. It's a crowded field and there's no Mike Trout. You know, I, I think Christian Yelich is projected for 6.3 wins above replacement. That's really good. The National League has had at least one six-war player every single year since 1927. So, like, that happens. It's not It's not standout to me. You know what I mean? It's, and as, as Will Leach uh, pointed out today in his piece about uh, surprising league leaders in baseball right now, if you go by OPS+, plus, Christian Yelich is tied with Brandon Nimmo, who's having a great season, but you wouldn't say, oh, this is a guy's having an MVP yeah. caliber season. And I, I'm not trying to detract from Christian Yelich. He's been unbelievable. Like, he is probably going to win, and he'll deserve to win. Uh, but like in in the second half in particular. Oh, he's like, been crazy. Like, you know, he's going to have a six-win season. In the five seasons from 2013 to 2017, 45 hitters at a six-win season, and that doesn't even include pitchers. So I'm not saying that what he's doing isn't great, because it is, but he's not up in the Mike Trout, you know, 2015 Bryce Harper 9-10 to 10 win uh, range. I looked at the 51 National League MVPs since 1968. Uh, 49 of them went to hitters. His projected 6.3 wins above replacement would top only seven of those. And some of these seasons are like the most egregious misvotes that we've ever seen, right? Like, you know, Andre Dawson won with 49 home runs in 1987. Fine. Like the Steve Garvey from 1984 was an absolute travesty. 74. Uh, 74, yes. Uh, it was a travesty. Remember when like Ryan Howard won in 2006 because he hit a lot of dingers, but that was kind of it. Uh, you know, I'm, he's going to top some of these seasons. Uh, the Terry Pendleton, 91, where Barry Bonds should have won again. Like some of these are the ones that stand out to you. If Christian Yelich won with 6.3 or so wins above replacement, it would be one of the lowest totals by a national leaguer in the last five decades. I think the point here is that it should give DeGrom an opening because if this was like Mike Trout was in his league, we wouldn't be talking about this. It would be a slam dunk. I feel like this should give DeGrom a shot. 
Nobody's going to nobody's going to agree. He's, he's going to get votes. I'd be curious to see if he gets any first place votes. He might get a couple first place votes, which could actually skew some of it. Because like when you have when you have some when you have some uh, voters with a totally different philosophy, it can really kind of sc- kind of screw with with the top of the ballot. If something like you're like, oh, everyone else has ba- if everyone else has basically Yelich bias somewhere in the top three, but then someone comes in and is like, you know what? Actually, I have. DeGrom Scherzer Baez and like Yelich is like my six that could like totally you know throw everything off and DeGrom Scherzer is a, is a legitimate one too because if you did go by Fangraph's war um, you they would be the top they'd two. be the top two and as a lot of people have pointed out um, on the interwebs baseball reference war is a little funky with pitchers this year because it's really penalizing or, or maybe rewarding Bo- Aaron Nola boosting him yeah for his bad defense so he actually leads the National League in war and by by baseball reference because they're basically adjusting as if he's playing in front of one of the worst defenses in baseball history. Yeah, they're bad, but I don't know if I would say they're one of the worst defenses uh, in baseball history. Finally, we introduced a new StatCast metric this week. Uh, You're all familiar with outs above average, I assume, but if you're not, I will summarize briefly. Every single play in the outfield, we put a catch probability number on based on the uh, difficulty of it, hang time, direction, etc., and uh, we accumulate those over the course of a season into one aggregate number. So, for example, uh, I think right now Ender and Ciarte and Harrison Bader are tied at plus 20 outs above average. The lowest guy is, I want to say Nick Castellanos at like minus 25. So there's your spread. There's like a 40, 45, 50 out difference uh, between great and poor. What we did this week is we split this up into a directional version. So we made six directional slices of 60 degrees each. Are they and vectors? Is that what they are? Sure. They're pie slices. I don't know. Look at vectors. We made, uh, we made it so that coming in is always in towards the plate, not in being like, you know, south on the compass. And we looked at everybody's outs above average within each of those six slices. And we aggregated uh, the three going back, because we have going back and back to the left and back to the right. as just all going back, the same thing for in. And we found some really interesting things. Like some of these guys aligned perfectly with the eye test. And I think we learned something about some of these guys. So, for example, uh, we had Adam McAlvey, our Brewers.com beat writer, ask Lorenzo Cain, without seeing any of this, he's like, hey, what do you think the numbers would show if you knew if you were better going in or going back? And Lorenzo Cain said, and I quote, I think it would show that I'm better going back than coming in. I've always felt comfortable going back. It's a skill you work on, but some of it has to be God-given. You know what I mean? And at the end, he said, I would definitely be interested in checking out the numbers. Well, guess what? He's exactly right. So far this year, he's plus four outs coming in. That's pretty good. But he's plus 12 going back. That's elite. And I just, I love it when the guys actually, you know, say what the numbers are going to say. I'd be really worried if our numbers said the opposite of that. Um, Delano DeShields from Texas, T.R. Sullivan, our Rangers beat reporter, asked the same question. Delano DeShields, kind of average-ish coming in. This is plus zero this year, same as last year. Plus 13 going back. Delano DeShields said... Last year, I was working on coming in, but this year, I'm working more on going over my shoulder, reading how far I am from the wall, seeing where the ball is in relation to the wall. It's definitely something I've been working on on a daily basis from spring training. That's great. He was working on going back, and he's been phenomenal at going back. So you should go to BaseballSavant.com and check out all of these. They're really fun. There's some interesting visuals. We picked out a couple of just uh, interesting facts here. Albert Almora plays a deep center field. He's average of 322 feet away from home. Uh, the average across the major leagues is 317. He's plus 10 coming in and plus one going back. Well, that makes sense. He plays pretty deep. On the other side of Chicago, Adam Engel plays the shallowest center field, 311 feet. Again, the average is 317. The deepest guys are 325. Well, he's plus 13 going back and plus three coming in. 
there's a correlation there, I assume, partially in terms of opportunities and partially in terms of positioning themselves where their skill uh, says they ought to. My favorite here, in case you want to know if this is kind of a sticky skill from year to year, Carlos Gonzalez, really, really good coming in. Uh, this is his coming in numbers for the last three years, plus two, plus three, and then plus six this year. His going back numbers, minus three, minus five, minus four. I think there's a skill there. It totally matches the eye test because we've seen him make a number of what we call five-star catches, catches with a uh, catch probability below 25% on low liners right in front of him. Like he's made a number over the last few years since we introduced catch probability, he's made like a, a handful of those. And they're, they're all exactly the same. They're the reaction plays coming in. Like you never see him going back and making the Billy Hamilton, I'm going to run real fast over 100 feet. Uh, and then I also wanted to call it Mike Trout. When I think about Mike Trout, just like as a hitter and as a player, obviously greatness uh, I think of consistency. Like he's kind of the same consistently great Mike Trout every single year, every single night. He is average or slightly above in all six directions this year without being more than plus two in any direction. That's perfect. I think that sums up the Mike Trout experience. I enjoyed that. Um, so that was, it's really fun. You should go check that out at baseballsavant.com. You can see it for any outfielder uh, who has played since 2016. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. We'll see you next week.